Darren is on location in Guatemala, and uh, so we have David Schindel is going to be speaking to us this morning, um, continuing our series, Summer in the Psalms. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. If you want to get your Bibles ready, we're going to look a lot at them this morning. Psalm 103, you can go ahead and get queued up there, whether it's an actual written codex text, book form, or a tablet, electronic device. Before we get into that, I want to share this with you. Um, Right now, out on the the road, serving us is Captain, or excuse me, Officer uh, Debbie Rogers. James talked about being Jesus. That's our privilege in life, showing Jesus to people. Our church this past week just sent a very small token of our love and appreciation to Officer Rogers for uh, just her work that she does in serving us and protecting us here. She's hired to do that. But this past week, she lost both her father and her service partner, Canine Bear was his name, that was incredibly special to her. Both of them left this world within two days of each other. So an amazingly difficult time. So the church sent a small token of appreciation to acknowledge um, that moment, some flowers and then a a plaque that had some words on it in reference to Bear. This morning I walked out, I told her that, that I would leave briefly, so at the beginning of the service I walked out, found her. I told her I wanted to give her a hug. She could barely get out of her car because of all of the flowers and baked goods and Dr. Pepper, which she said, how did they know? Inside, crawled out, grabbed me, gave me a hug. And she said, let me tell you something, David. This ain't no church. This is a family. Now, sad to think that what's behind that perhaps is what the world views church as. The reality is God's church is his family. And he says, there's one thing that my family, my kids are going to be known by. If you have love for each other. She wrote this note to us. I'll read it to you. Thank you so much for the beautiful flowers and plaque, yellow roses, are my and were my dad's favorite. We had no idea. The words on the plaque brought a joyful tear. Stunning. I cannot express how honored and blessed I have been since meeting the Conduit family. It does feel like family. Thank you again, Debbie Rogers. Debbie, if you're watching this in the podcast, perhaps this week, we just want you to know we do We do care about you. We love you. And we know that you love us. One of the things she said with tear rolling down her cheek was, you know what? I'll tell you this. You guys pay me to do this. She said, but from this point on, if you decide not to pay me ever again, you can count on one thing. I'll be out here in my blue jeans every single Sunday with you protecting this church. Many, many people that God has placed in our life all around us. Let's be Jesus to them. 
Amen. This past week, we woke up to some difficult stuff. It was Tuesday morning, and then again, Friday morning. I don't know what those hours just before these tragic choices were made look like. I'd like to think that someone would have loved enough to maybe ask Kate or Anthony, how's your soul? We don't often ask that question just like that. It'd be kind of awkward in our culture vernacular for someone on the sidewalk walking past you. Hey, how's your soul? We do say this, though, all the time. It's our greeting. Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? We throw that around all the time. We rarely ever, ever expect someone to answer honestly. In fact, I think perhaps to that question, Christians, too, become the greatest liars. Because when we see someone, hey, how you doing? What do we usually say? Great, how are you? We flip it back, how are you? Several years ago, probably four or five years ago, I determined I wasn't going to lie anymore. And so I determined that every time someone would ask me, how are you doing? I would immediately just say, hey, how are you doing? Flip it. Boomerang. And as I expected, almost everyone never caught it because they really didn't care. I had thought through intentionally that if someone ever actually circled back and said, hey, you never answered my question, how are you? That my response very intentionally would become, do you really want to know? The day came where someone circled back. David, you never answered my question, how are you? Straight faced, do you really want to know? He said yes. 30 minutes later, prayed with me. And he said, I love you. And I'm here for you. When's the last time that happened to you? How is your soul? The national conversation this past week was shaped by these two unfortunate choices. They just happened to be famous people. So they got attention and brought up what is now a very difficult conversation, not just in our news media. I heard people in our community talking about it. I heard people talking about it around the pool the other day. In our community, we had a little event, and people were talking about suicide. Interestingly, a study was just released, government-funded study, that since 1999, just 19 years ago, suicide in America is up 30%. 2016, 45,000 Americans took their own life. That's 123 suicides per day. For every one suicide, there are 25 more who actually attempt it. 1.1 million Americans. Even more United States men, women, and children. Recent survey, college kids across our country, 55 percent of every single college kid has contemplated taking their life. There are so many people who struggle with these thoughts. 
They've tried to put numbers to it, and the recent number is suggested that over 10 million Americans on a weekly basis have an internal struggle. That's 3.9% of the U.S. population. Bring that stat into this room right now. That means, potentially, that eight of us walked into this room this morning questioning life and death. There's a guy named Doug Dennis. Um, he wrote last year in March this article. At that time, the number was nine million. And he went on record and said very transparently, I am one of them. And here's what he wrote. He said, a couple of times a day, every day, I consider whether life is worth it, an action or an inaction, some monumental, some minuscule. An observation or sometimes a realization causes me to consider the world, my place in it, and whether or not I even want one. And then he said this, and this gripped me. It's the title for today's message. He said, I call it my daily internal dialogue about suicide. Every single day, we have internal dialogue about big questions. You hear often around here the phrase or the, the idea of preaching or teaching the gospel to yourself daily. Taking the truth of Christ and his good news, reminding yourself of that truth. Why? Because oftentimes when difficulty comes into our life, it interrupts, the screen goes dark. It's hard to think about those things because tangibly in that moment, it's no longer about the warm, fuzzy feeling of a heavenly father loving me through Jesus, my sins being purged forever. It's the here and now of the difficulty of a, of a spousal abuse relationship or kids who just don't listen or the, the death of a father, the death of a, of a beloved pet. Whatever the, the darkness is, it's just that. It's dark. So last week we began in Psalm 22, pretty, pretty bleak words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? We all have those moments when, when we want to hear from God. We want to sense his presence, but it's as if when we pray, it's like, where are you, God? But we saw last week in Psalm 22 in the bleak darkness of that moment of saying, God, where are you? And even questioning, and I've been there, questioning, God, are you even God? Are you real? And yet the psalmist goes from that deep lament to what became overwhelming hope and praise. I don't know what happened with Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Unfortunately, they're just mile markers along this road that continues week after week after week, where our enemy continues to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And by the way, it's not limited to just non-Jesus people. So this morning, we're going to come and we're going to look at what I'm going to entitle Your Daily Internal Dialogue Through the Lens of Psalm 103, considered by many to be the Mount Everest of Praise Psalms. So if you're not there, let's, again, go to the hymnal songbook portion of our Bible, the book of Psalms 103. And just because of some logistics this morning with PowerPoint and size of text, I'm going to depend on you having, if you can, look on with a neighbor maybe, an iPhone or a Bible. We're going we're gonna to just look at the text a lot today. There's a lot of content here. The goal is in a short amount of time to make quick work and simplistic understanding of this text. Let's just read it together. And may the, the power of the word of God go right to where there's need. Here's what the text says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and the kingdom, his kingdom rules over all. So bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Two verbal imperatives, two commands in this entire text, 22 verses. Find them. Don't look at me. <laughs> look at the text. Find them. Here are a couple hints. The first verbal command is repeated six times throughout the text in the form of three words. 
It's also the theme. It's the propositional statement of the text. What is it? Bless the Lord. The second one, you'll find it close to the first two mentions. What is it? That's the positive way of saying negatively, don't forget. Forget not. It's interesting that the negative form is chosen here. It's not remember, it's don't forget. If you really want to stress to your wife or your, your kids or your husband to not lose something, you don't say remember, you say what? Don't forget. Right? Those are the two commands. Bless, specifically, the Lord. Notice all caps probably in your text. Reference to the covenant-keeping God of Israel, specifically the unmentioned name to the Jews, Yahweh, the tetragrammaton of God. Bless the Lord. Second verb, second command, don't forget. Let's look at the first one. Bless the Lord. What does that mean? I thought it's God who blesses us. What do I have to bless the Lord with? Right? So what does it mean to bless the Lord? Southern culture, we hear sometimes someone getting blessed out. What does that mean? Some of your translations may read, instead of bless the Lord, praise the Lord. Very cautiously, carefully, I would suggest that that's kind of an unfortunate translation in the English. Because the connotation there is just that it's something that verbally declares it's a verbal utterance of acknowledging or honoring someone through the spoken word, through singing, through praise and worship, if you will. But when we look at the word itself in the Hebrew text, it's a very striking word. In its root form, the word is barak. That's not really important, except that it means this, to bend. Specifically, to bend the knee. In simple action form, it would have the visual connotation of a traveler walking through perhaps the Judean wilderness or maybe through Galilee, thirsting and finding a small wadi or a stream running through the wilderness and literally just bending the knee down to be able to scoop up and drink water. Simple action. This word in the Hebrew text, which does not come over well in translation to the English, is not simple action. It has a PL stem to it, which simply means this. It is intense. It's intensive action. The English translator tried to pick up on that because you'll notice that at the end of each one of those sections that say, bless the Lord, in our English grammar, there's a what? An exclamation point, which we would read something like this. Instead of just bless the Lord, when you see an exclamation point, it's communicating, really? Bless the Lord, like, like a lot, like more than you would just normally. But that still doesn't help me understand what a lot really means when it comes to bless. How do I really bend the knee? So God in his amazing ability to communicate through the Hebrew text, he has David write, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul. And then he talks about his soul and he says that that defines all that is within me. The peel stem of this Hebrew word means that there is a, an inner 
response that leads me to bow my soul in respect and reverence. The connotation of Isaiah when he saw the Shekinah glory of God, he said, woe is me for I am undone. Moses, when he saw the burning bush and realized that it was God in the bush, what did he do? He bent his knee. That's a physical response. David is talking about something that needs to trigger his innermost soul. It also has the idea of offering up something of great significant value. What more could you give anyone than your soul? Now, what's also fascinating is this. Remember, we said it was a verbal command, right? David says, bless the Lord. He's commanding, and he's saying intensive action. He's saying it's something that's inward. It's in your heart. It's a respect. It's a reverence. It's something that you become undone with. Now, notice this. Answer this question. Who is he commanding? Who is he talking to? Himself. Rabbit trail. Who's your favorite preacher? Don't say it out loud. I know. Darren, yeah. Who's your favorite preacher? Think about it. You might have several that you enjoy listening to. Hear me out through this. Do you know who my favorite preacher is? Me. You know why? I'm the only one that knows my soul and my heart like me. And I've learned the key to my joy is preaching to my own soul the truth of what is true in Jesus. My hope and my desire and prayer this morning is that you would become your most favorite preacher because you know your soul. And here's what we often know. And I would say this. David doesn't say this, but we know throughout the Psalms, David is talking about all of the difficulties he's going through. Most likely, David has experienced something very difficult. And in difficult times, question, do you feel like praising the Lord? We want help. We want deliverance. We want freedom. We want assistance. But in the weight and the fire and the hurt of suffering, the last thing I want to do Just praise the Lord. So David actually gives me encouragement, and perhaps he will too to you, and that is this, that sometimes in the moment, and there often sometimes it seems where we don't feel like preaching a sermon to myself. What I feel like is lashing out, reacting, giving up, throwing the towel in. I don't know what hell is like, but, but whatever it is, it's got to be better than the the hell I'm living in now. I've heard many people say that. So David's on to something and he says, no. Soul, bless the Lord. Soul, hey, looking in the mirror, you, I'm talking to you. Bless the Lord. But it's not an external, forced, contrived, okay, here's a mechanical formula of words, recite this 20 times, hold on some beads. No, no. 
It's soul, all that is within me, bless the Lord. I'm going to ask you the question, what triggers someone to be able to follow that command, but to do it authentically and lovingly and passionately to where you literally have come into the presence of God and you are undone and you bend the soul knee of your heart and you honor and revere and respect and you thank. What causes that? The second verb, don't forget. Don't forget. It's fascinating. Bless is the intensive action verb. Guess what don't forget is? It's just simple. It doesn't take much to convince a weary soul of the power and deliverance of God. So David says simply, don't forget, soul. Specifically what? His benefits. His benefits. And literally what David does from verse 3 all the way through verse, I think it's 16, which is the largest portion of this text, do you know what he does? He recites and recounts 18 reasons or benefits that are going to result in all that is within his soul to bow, to bend, to worship, to thank God, to bless his holy name. So now, we already read them, but may I? I trust in the prayer of the power of the Holy Spirit. May I just simply and quietly read through these 18 benefits and give them in the hearing of this audience to wash over your soul. And I don't know who the eight people are today. I used to be one of them. I get it. But here's what the Bible says about our Jesus. There is nothing that you have ever been tested or tempted in that your Jesus was not also tried in, yet without failure or sin. So it's not just comforting to know that I can say, me too, with you. I know, I get it. My Jesus knows And so as we read over these and you hear these words, the power of the living word of God, may it wash over your soul and may you be encouraged, may you be strengthened to respond what will naturally come true to those who have received the benefits of a holy living God. Here they are. I feel prompted to say, teens, Teenagers, hear this. This isn't religion. This is Jesus. Don't have to go into all of the the messianic indications in this text, but just suffice to say that when you read, when when you hear me read these blessings, this is Jesus. This is Jesus doing for you what you ultimately long for most. Hear it. Receive it. 18 reasons. He forgives your sin. He heals you from spiritual and physical brokenness. He redeems you from ruin. He crowns you 
with enduring, unchanging love and mercy. He satisfies you with goodness. He provides you righteousness and justice. He's merciful with you, gracious with you, patient with you. He consistently loves you with greater love. He does not give you what your sin deserves. He loves you with limitless commitment and capacity. He permanently purges your sins. He's tenderly compassionate with you. He knows and is considerate of your human weaknesses. He loved you in eternity past. He loves you right now in this moment and he will continue to love you into eternity future. He provides the opportunity of righteousness to your kids, your grandkids, to my little Roman, to my great-grandkids who I've never met, to all of our posterity. I don't know if Kate and Anthony ever heard such things. But you have. What is your response to that? Let's ask what was David's response after, don't know how many times he's done this, but in this moment commands his soul to do this. He rehearses it and we know his response because the rest of the text tells us what happens. He goes from just this inner personal moment of silence and solitude and all of a sudden he starts commanding everything to do the same thing. He like goes on record. He's like, all right, angels. Hey, you angels out there. Can't see you. I know you can see me. You command intensive action. Bless the Lord with me right now. And in case I missed it, I want all y'all angels, the whole host, don't know how many you are, but I'm commanding right now for you to join me because I've got a song to sing. So sing it with me right now. And by the way, I'm not done yet. I'm now looking to every single thing that God has ever spoken into existence. So I'm going to command the birds and the bees and the squirrels, which yesterday as I was reading through this and I went through these benefits in my own heart, it was like on cue. God opened an audio channel to where I heard sounds that became beautiful to me. The birds were singing the praise of God. Visually, a limb moved way up high in a tree and it was a squirrel. I started watching the squirrel and all of a sudden the squirrel started singing. He started chattering. I heard a bee buzzing by. Do you know the trees, Proverbs say, clap their hands for God? Astronomers tell us that they've gone into now what are uncharted territories of our galaxy and other galaxies. And as they go, they are, they are listen, they're hearing songs. On certain frequency levels, they're saying that the stars are actually emitting vocal audio frequencies. Had a lady in our first service, one of our sisters that came up to me afterward, and she said she's been reading some interesting information to where as, as I don't know what you call these people, smart people, they, they have taken these frequencies of crickets, stars, 
anything that makes noise and sound, heard and unsound to the human ear, and they are determining and concluding that it is all one big symphonic, united expression of praise to the Creator. And so David says, I don't want to be the only one singing here because now that I've not forgotten, my soul is ready to join in. I'm going to bless the Lord and all that is with me in my soul. So I ask you, are these benefits yours? How do you know if they are? Some of the dilemma of even the Christian walk is coming to that moment of crisis when you question, what if I'm really not a child of God? What if God isn't really who he says he is? Those are dark, difficult questions, which, by the way, should not interrupt the simple, daily, internal dialogue of not forgetting. But it's interesting, the text answers the question, whose benefits are these if you look back in the text four different times, it says who these benefits are for. Verse 11, verse 13, verse 17. And there's one other one I can't see right now. But therefore, it says this. These benefits are to or toward those who fear him. What's that mean? Exodus 20, which is actually in the context of the storyline David's talking about. Remember, he said the acts of God to the children of Israel, Moses. He goes back to Exodus, and he starts talking about all the good, great things God did in delivering the children of Israel out of Exodus. Three and a half million of them, plus all of their animals, gather at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and one afternoon, apparently, all of a sudden, stuff happened. Scared them. I'm just going to say spitless. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> if you've ever been so scared you can't spit, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> the ground starts shaking violently. The mountain starts smoking, thunder and lightning. And on top of all of that, piercing through the air is the literal heard voice of God. I have never experienced that. All three and a half million of the Israelites hear the voice of God. Their response, they freaked out. The text literally says, different little interpretation, not interpretation, translation. They come to Moses and they say to Moses, tell him to stop. He's scaring us. From now on, we don't want him to talk to us anymore. We like it when you talk to us better. That's what the text says. And Moses, get this, here's what he says to them. He says, all right, I hear you. Here's the solution. Don't be afraid of God. Next sentence. Rather, be afraid of God. Literally, it says, don't fear God, fear God. at me. We lived in Vermont. Our very good friends had a really big dog. At that time, my kids were pretty little. We went over to see them. And you know the response when a little tiny kid sees a great big dog. It's the biggest, um, was it Cocker, not Cocker Spaniel, Golden Retriever? <laughs> it was this giant Cocker Spaniel. 
What was it, hun? Golden retriever. It was really big. Probably a horse. Don't know. It was really big. What does a little kid do when he sees a happy, charging, big dog, big tongue surrounded by big white teeth coming to love on those little kids? They freak out. So before that actually happened, both Mo and Phil come over and they get down on bended knee with my kids and they said, hey guys, you don't need to be afraid of Max. In fact, Max loves kids so much. In fact, you can ride on top of him, pull his tail. You can do lots of things that I don't want you to do, but if you would, Max would never, ever bite you because it's in Max's nature to love The only thing you do need to be careful of is that if you get afraid of Max where you don't run to him but run away from him, Max is going to chase you because he thinks you're playing a really cool game. <laughs> so here's the principle. Here's the lesson. Run to Max, not from Max. Fear Max, but don't fear him. These benefits are to anyone who, as James said, has been transformed from being proud to humble. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So draw near, run to the Lord. Fear him so much that you would never, ever want to leave his presence. God, keep me close. And even though it's hard and my emotions are yelling and screaming one thing at me, I will, I will, and all that is within me, I will bless your holy name. I'm not going to forget. I'm going to choose to remember. So one more time. Here we go again, Lord. I am rehearsing. I'm remembering all of the benefits to the point where yesterday I sat on my deck and I literally, <laughs> I think my neighbor heard me. I'm on my deck. I started clapping. And I started kind of singing with the squirrel and the birds and the bee. And I, I had this similar response to David. It's like, God, I want to join in. I want to bless your holy name. Don't know where you're at. I don't know the answer to the question, how's your soul? If there's anyone in here this morning who did walk in here and you're one of the A, may I just say to you, God has never left. He's right where he's always been. Run to him, not away from him. If you don't know Jesus, you do now. Receive his invitation. Let him save you and forgive you. Here's 18 reasons. There's a song that Matt Redman wrote. Most of you know it. He says there's 10,000 reasons. I don't know how many there are. Let's go with 10,000. The simple truth is this, today, tomorrow, maybe just make it a, not a checklist, but a discipline for this week that every day you're going to say to yourself, hey you, come on you, bless the Lord by not forgetting, choosing to remember the benefits of having come to the Lord. Let's do this. Let's, in just a moment, we're going to sing this song and close. We'll stand together in just a moment, and we're going to sing. 
the exclamation point of really blessing doesn't mean you got to like sing super louder to really bless. Although some of you want to sing, I heard somebody earlier singing super loud. I thought it was kind of cool. You just do what's in your soul. Some of you won't be able to sing at all. You might just break down. That's okay. Some of you might need someone to pray with you. If that's the case, let someone pray with you. I'm going to ask, in fact, I'll stand here. My wife, Tammy, um, will stand with me. Shannon, if you would stand here. If you want someone, we'll, we'll pray with you. If you know someone else or a, a husband, a wife, a, kid, a child, a friend, if you need someone to pray over you, I want my soul to bless the Lord. Maybe you need to come to the Lord. You need to, you need to give in. Run to Jesus and do that. However the Lord responds in your soul right now, just give all that is within you and bless his holy name. Let's stand and sing.